today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We had a number of discussions back in the uh, the fall about uh, what was going to be happening this winter because we knew obviously COVID wasn't going away anytime soon. And healthcare experts warned us uh, that uh, we could be facing a, a double-headed monster of the flu season and, of course, the COVID uh, pandemic that was going to continue. And we were encouraged to get our flu shots and get our vaccinations because at least that was available anyway. But we didn't quite know how this was going to roll out. Well, uh, it, we're not out of this yet. I mean, it's still wintertime. We get that. But uh, the numbers are uh, telling a story in and of themselves. Uh, Canada's flu watches have had next to nothing to watch this year for a variety of reasons. Uh, Kelly Grant, health reporter for the Globe and Mail, has written a, a, an incredible story about this that outlines not just the numbers, but some of the, the stories behind the numbers. And uh, before we start jumping into conclusions and say, oh, that, I can tell you why that happened, maybe not. There's some other factors at play here. Uh, Kelly Grant joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Kelly, thank you, first of all, for the time and uh, a great piece in the Globe and Mail about exactly what we were expecting and what we ended up getting. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think a lot of people got scared straight last fall and said, you know, I haven't had a flu shot for years. I didn't really think I needed it. But, man, I don't want to face, you know, what could be this, this monumental task of having to deal with the flu and possibly with COVID-19 as well. So inoculation comes into play. Uh, we do know as well that uh, we learned a little bit, I guess, from the Australian situation because they went through their winter when we were going through our summer. Uh, and they showed some numbers that showed that uh, the flu numbers were down considerably. Uh, but that doesn't tell the whole story, does it? Uh, it doesn't, in part because one of the things that surprised me was, you know, I had been following the flu, and I knew that the flu was, you know, we were seeing a season unlike anything really we'd ever seen before, with the flu being virtually non-existent. But it isn't just the flu. It's respiratory viruses of all kinds are down really significantly, the one that most caught my attention is a virus called RSV that you know maybe parents of very young children will be uh, familiar with because it's the leading reason why babies under the age of one wind up in hospital in intensive care. And, you know, there are hundreds, if not thousands of admissions every year for babies who have this. And RSV, too, has, has almost completely gone away, um, at least for this season anyway. And then some of the other viruses that cause the common cold, you know, viruses that most people wouldn't even know the name of or think about, like, you know, your adenoviruses or your common cold coronaviruses, which are the ones that are benign that aren't, you know, causing COVID. And they're all down really significantly as well. So it's it's really been the winter where if you were fortunate enough not to get COVID, you probably felt better than you have in past winters because you haven't had, you know, coughs, colds, flu, all that kind of terrible stuff that plagues us during the winter. So what are the factors in this? I mean, you know what, what some doctors have suggested, uh, as, as you know, and, and again, you've done some some of the definitive work here to get the, these numbers down. But I mean, they would say anecdotally, well, you know, we're masking, we're social distancing, which is probably the stuff we should have been doing again to fight the flu every year, and we never did. So that's got to be a factor. But it, it, that doesn't. I'm, I'm I'm concerned that that we're being a little bit too you know superficial and saying, well, just as long as I wear a mask, I'm, I'm going to be fine. There, there seems to be a lot more at play here. Well, I think the interesting thing is that all of these steps that we have taken have not succeeded totally in controlling COVID. So mm-hmm. the question is, right, you know, we, we, we've been taking all these steps for months now, um, and, and particularly since the province here in Ontario went into lockdown after Boxing Day and then a stay-at-home order. Uh, but, but prior to that, you know, 
we, we still, I think everybody has been really consistently masking, you know, being much more cognizant of, of things like hand washing and staying home when they're sick. And that hasn't stamped out COVID. So why is it stamped out the flu? Um, and I think the, the, the thing is, is that the answer is not that simple. Certainly all of these public health measures make a big difference, right? I'm not saying that they don't. But then there's the question of what role did the uh, higher than usual uptake of the flu shot play? Um, what role have the travel restrictions play? I mean, a, a lot of what happens with the, um, the flu moving from the south to the north, you know, a lot of that is brought in by travelers, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what role has, has, has very little travel played in, in this picture? And then another question that is just, um, it's really hard to pin down is whether in some way SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, is sort of muscling out um, other viruses. I mean, we know that this virus is quite contagious. It has um, a higher effective reproduction rate than do viruses like the flu and some of these other common cold um, viruses. And we also know we have a mostly susceptible population, right? I mean, most people have had the flu. They've had these these common cold viruses before. And having them in the past does provide at least a measure of immunity for future seasons. That's not here for the coronavirus. So it's, it's complicated. Um, but I think, you know, big picture, you can't discount the, the big role that some of these public health measures have have made i mean like i've barely left my house in months like yeah, i don't know yeah. who i would catch a virus from i <laughs> <laughs> uh, just yeah me and the dog every day here so but mm-hmm. that's and that's that's fine for the dog and fine for me too i suppose but you're <laughs> right those those are all contributing factors and just just to give our listeners a, 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 i think a, an idea of the magnitude of this uh, we talked earlier about the the canada's flu watchers the program that's been in place here uh, of the uh, 12,207 participants who answered the survey only 15 15 out of that large number reported cough and fever, and, uh, which is huge. I mean, that, that's unheard of to have that. That Well, really, I guess it's a, a success rate for the other ones, isn't it? Well, you know what's really interesting is that, um, I mean, that the number of people who participate in this surveillance program called Flu Watchers, um, the, the federal government went on a bit of a... Uh, sort of marketing campaign to try to get more people to sign up to do this as part of their COVID surveillance efforts. So compared to last year and previous years, like there's way more people reporting into this flu watchers program because people have wanted to help out with sort of COVID surveillance. So at the same time last year, I looked at those same numbers and there were a little over 3,000 people who had filled out this survey, which is just, it's like once a week, you get a question by email that says, have you had a cough and a fever this week? And so at the same time last year, there were only about 3,000 people reporting and about 106 of them reported cough or fever. <laughs> so the difference is, is, is really striking. And the difference is also very much present in the fact that we as a healthcare system are still, we are testing for the flu. In fact, we are testing more for the flu than we have in years past, in part because of sort of the knock-on effects of COVID. Um, and there's just, it's, it's virtually non-existent, the flu. There's been, you know, really only a few dozen cases, and some of, them, some of those are thought to be either um, contaminated samples or are thought to be evidence of people who recently received the live attenuated vaccine, and that the test is picking up, you know, traces of the virus from the live version of the vaccine. So it's really like, I mean, everybody I talk to who studies, who, who studies flu and other winter respiratory viruses are just, they're, they're really taken aback by just how much these other viruses have disappeared this season. And we've 
kind of dodged a bullet here too, haven't we? I mean, as we were talking about this uh, heading towards the season last uh, last fall, the, um, you know, there's always a concern. Okay, people are going to get sick for a few days, but you know, it's the hospitalizations. I think the doctors were talking to us about and say, you know, with the pandemic and and the impact that was having on on not just ERs but of course on in intensive care units as well. Uh, that if there was going to be a flu epidemic or a flu numbers, I guess, like there have been in past years, uh, there was going to be a huge capacity problem, but that, that never materialized. Yeah, I think that has been one of the very few silver linings about this winter is, I mean, normally the flu does send thousands of people to the hospital, um, particularly the very old and the very young, um, and people die of the flu every year. And we just haven't seen any of that this year. And when I think about particularly in the hot spots, how overwhelmed the hospitals are just with COVID. Um, I, you know, the, the thought of, of them experiencing the twindemic everybody feared, it really would have been very scary. So it, we've been very fortunate that that hasn't materialized, but the hospitals are still under um, a huge amount of pressure just from COVID alone, particularly in the hot spots. So Flu bugs, like well, these other viruses that we've been dealing with and talking about almost exclusively, I guess, for the last uh, 12 months now, uh, they morph into different things as well. That's why we have to get a flu shot every year, because we don't know which one of those uh, variations is actually going to be the prevalent one here. Uh, the fact that the numbers are down significantly this time around, Kelly, does that indicate that uh, that we've got this thing licked, or is, is there going to be a, a concern later going down the road here uh, about about lack of herd immunity because there was no flu to, to speak of this year? So that's a really good question, and there are some modelers in the United States who have looked at this, and they think that there will be a rebound season, um, not just with flu, but with RSV, that other um, virus that affects babies that I, I mentioned as well. Mm. And one, one interesting thing that they have seen in Australia, where, you know, they've got this real iron ring around the country, and as a result, they've done a very good job of suppressing COVID, um, that within the country, they have started to... Um, ease their restrictions quite a bit in Australia, and they are actually seeing an off-season outbreak of RSV in some parts of Australia right now. So it's not, it's, you know, it's not the normal time of year when you would see RSV, but when they had their strictest restrictions in place, it was suppressed, and now the virus has, has come back. So there is a concern that, you know, you get sort of an extra year of susceptibility by not having these viruses circulate much this winter at all, and that we could see a rebound next year. I, I guess we need to remind ourselves about that too. And I talk about, you know, these are the numbers and, you know, we're into February. We're not over the finish line yet. I mean, there's, there are still some things that can happen here. We get that. So we, we still have to be vigilant, don't we? We do. And I mean, the truth be told, it's like we really do need to be vigilant because of COVID. I mean, the danger of COVID, um, I know numbers are down across the province and it's great news and I'm really excited about it. But with the arrival of these new variants that seem to be both more transmissible and in the case of the one variant that was identified in South Africa and another one in Brazil, the concern that these variants have the ability to make the vaccines less effective is is really scary. So I know that, um, you know, we need to be thinking about um, continuing to protect ourselves in terms of more run-of-the-mill viruses reemerging, but the threat of COVID is just so much bigger that, you know, we got we got to do everything we can to keep that under control first. I want to lay this uh, against uh, one of the arguments that we heard, uh, I guess, almost a year ago now, Kelly, that uh, some people that were being dismissive of, of pandemics and, and coronaviruses in general uh, were simply saying, look, this is nothing more than just like a, a heavy-duty flu. Uh, these numbers tend to indicate that these are, they may be cousins, but there's a lot of differences between these two. 
Oh yeah, there is a lot of there. There is a lot of difference. I think one you know piece of of data that I think puts it into perspective is, you know, uh, the influenza and pneumonia. Stats can listed that in 2019, which is the last year for which we have like full data on causes of death. Um, it was. I believe, um, number seven in 2019. And, you know, there are other causes of pneumonia other than the flu. So sort of take that with a grain of salt. Um, now, with the number of deaths we've had so far with, with COVID, it's, uh, it alone is, is number three. Um, so only heart disease and cancer are killing more people. Um, it's just like a demonstrably worse virus <laughs> than the flu by like, Several measures. That's one I could throw out. But, you know, the number of hospital days, um, the number of deaths, like it's just it's in a whole it's in a whole different category. Uh, Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you to do some predicting here, a little crystal balling for us. Uh, We've, for the most part, followed the protocol. We are washing our hands uh, more than we usually do. uh, and, And that's good. And we are to a certain extent anyway, social distancing, uh, and we're, fa- we're wearing face masks. I think there's, there's compliance with a lot of that stuff. Uh, this too shall pass. Uh, COVID, you know, with vaccinations, et cetera, we're hoping, knock on wood, is not going to be as big a problem next year. Uh, are we going to be this diligent next year? Are we still going to wear masks? Are we still going to social distance? Or are we just going to say, well, that's, that's in the rearview mirror now, uh, which could put us right back where we were before this? Yeah, I'm so curious about that. I I obviously don't know the answer. Um, When I was reporting this story, and I kind of asked that question to both regular people and um, experts, and what I got was a lot of like, yeah, you know what, if I was, if I felt myself coming down with a cold, I'd be more likely to wear a mask, or I think I'll wear a mask like on the TTC and public transit going forward. Um, I don't really see a world where, you know, people in their own homes when having, you know, small groups over for dinner, if God forbid we can ever do that again. Um, I'm not sure I see people wearing masks in that context. And I think the desire we all have to have some human contact again and to be hugging together and and spending time together indoors, I suspect that will probably overwhelm um, people's concern about keeping up these really strict measures. But I, I do think that masks have become acceptable in a way that, you know, we might behave more like a lot of the Asian countries where, you know, it's considered um, a polite thing to do and a considerate thing to do if, you, if you're if you feeling the beginning of an illness to make sure you wear a mask. Um, I, I could see that sticking around. Um, I don't know. No, no, that's the example I was thinking of as well, because long before we talked about COVID and, and things of this nature, uh, you're right. If you look at some of the uh, the Asian countries, especially places, you know, high-density population areas, uh, it's not unusual to see people wearing masks. And, and, and it, it wasn't because of anything like this. It could be any one of the colds or any one of the uh, other respiratory things that you've talked about here right now. Uh, I I don't know if we have that mindset here. I, I, our culture seems to be different that way, that uh, – you know, I, 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 they're going to point and say, "What are you wearing that for?" You know, COVID was last year. You know, that was that's so yesterday. Uh, but it, I, it would be smart, I think, on our part, and, and something that's uh, I, I'm going to, as you are, be watching for this and tracking for this, and just see: Are, are we going to be more conscientious about these sorts of things in the past? Even if you're not going to wear the mask, uh, are you going to wash your hands 45 times a day like you're doing right now? I mean, are we just going to mm-hmm. think, "Oh boy, I'm glad that's over with." Or one of the other things I really wonder about is people staying home when they're sick. I think we very much had a culture of, you know, if you're not feeling well, you push through and you go to work because you've got to be a good employee. 
Um, and I wonder if that will change, if there will be less tolerance of people coming to the office when they're sick, uh, both because we've now all experienced a winter where, again, if you're lucky enough to not have COVID, you felt really good. Um, and because now we're also used to working from home, you know, if you feel, you know, a little bit of a tickle in the back of your throat, will you say to your boss, you know what, I- I'm not feeling great. I think I'm going to work from home today. I also wonder about that as being a cultural change, whether we'll see that stick around or not. Well, yeah, and that's by extension some of the other discussions that we've had, and we don't even know how this is going to roll out now, but how many people are going to continue to work from home. You know, the, the big concern back when we started doing this a year ago was, well, the productivity is just going to you know, plummet. Well, it hasn't for the most mm-hmm. part, and uh, it's going to cause a different mindset. But you're right. Your point's well taken. I mean, you know, the, in the past they've always said, no, no, listen, Kelly, if you're not feeling well, stay home. We don't want to spread that. But if you do that, we're going to be short-staffed, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, okay, I'll be, you know, uh, I, I'm wondering if that's going to cause a reset of that kind of an attitude, too. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too. Well, that's a, another few articles for you, I guess, which I'm probably mm-hmm. sure you've already started to research on. Uh, great having you on the program today. Thanks so much for this, Kelly. Okay, thanks for having me. And stay well. You, too. Kelly Grant, uh, health reporter for the Globe and Mail. And you can check that out on the webpage, by the way, on their uh, website and uh, get the details about that study. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.